You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm with the world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth. How art thou, Kelly? I'm really well. How are you? I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. Yeah, you had put, a busy put, day. No, just putting up with you. Oh, putting up with me. I mean, You've been you, looking in the mirror too long, putting you, up with yourself more you don't, like You don't know how hard it is working with the world's greatest producer. <laughs> oh, I'm very demanding. I always feel short. Always you know, demanding. I'm not up to it. I'm not up to That's it. That's right. You should feel like that. I mean, that. you told me. You told me about the guest. You actually gave me a name this time. Yeah. Make it easy. Yep. Holly Hammond, how are you? I'm well, Joe. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if I can keep up with the banter. <laughs> oh, you can keep up with it. See, the good thing is about this program, Kelly's so talented, she's going to podcast the program and it'll be up there for all eternity or while the internet exists. So it's all right. <laughs> that feels like more pressure, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, Holly, this is not an interview because the interview requires research and I, do know re- I don't do research. It requires, this is a conversation, a polite conversation with a great human being. Who didn't know that Margaret Road Knight was the singer? But that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Holly. Now, Holly, what year were you born? 1975. You're just a youngster. <laughs> it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah, you know what year I was born? Not that you'd be interested. <laughs> you can share. 51. Yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, all those wasted years. Now I get to talk to you, which is good. So, where were you born? In London. London. How come you haven't got an accent? Uh, because I came back to Australia when I was 14 months old. Four- and I say back because my parents were Australians <laughs> who had gone <laughs> to London and then brought me back. They weren't my contemporaries who'd go to London to see the world and work in a pub. No? Uh, I don't know that there was a pub involved. My dad um, was a newly graduated architect. Right. Yeah, and he connected with the squatting movement over there. Excellent. Yep. Quite influenced by anarchists and um, tenant participation, mm. radical approaches to housing. Mm. So that's part of my background. Right. So what's your dad's first name? Richard. Is he still with us? Yes. Uh-huh. Over in Western Australia. Western Australia. Yeah, a bit of distance between you two. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting that he was actually interested in the squatting movement because there was a big squatting movement uh, 
in uh, England at that time. Yeah, my folks lived in a squat for a little while with me as a little bub. Ah, yeah, it was very difficult because the cops used to come out and beat people up and chuck them out in those days in uh, in London. Brixton, were they in Brixton, the squats in Brixton? I'm not too sure. But mm. I think, you know, the fact that um, squatting was a really, like, established approach to housing and yep. um, understanding property, you know, mm. radical mm. analysis of property, Um yeah, that was an established thing over there that was really influential for my parents. Well, squatters did have rights mm. in England, uh, which went back hundreds of centuries. Uh, I think it was after the uh, the Black Plague. There were just so many empty buildings that needed to be filled. And uh, even in the uh, 70s, squatters had squatting rights, mm-hmm. which we, they never had here. Yeah. Except for the original squatters. <laughs> the squatocracy that yeah. was actually dispossessing uh, First Nations folks. Of yeah, they were very good. Do you know, I'm going to ask you a question, I shouldn't do this, but do you know how many squatters owned Victoria in by 1850? Yeah. The whole of Victoria, how many do you think? Um, 73. 700. Wow. So 700 people in the space of 16 years were able to s- displace over 200,000 people, mm. murder most of them, and take over the land as their own. Isn't that extraordinary when you think about it? Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Mm. And your mum, she's still alive? Yes. And what's her first name? Uh, well, she goes by Scotty. Because Scotty. Because that's um, her maiden name right. with a Y on the end. Scotty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. It's good. She's not Scottish. Uh, it's in our lineage, but it's, you know... Not a not to the fore. And you say lineage. So where does your lineage go to? Um, <laughs> a sort of English, Scottish, Irish blend of some kind. Haven't done the DNA analysis, but uh, probably some Scandinavian in there. You know. Yeah, Viking, I reckon. Looking yeah. at you, <laughs> you've got that look. You know, you're going to crush us. I can tell. <laughs> you've got the Viking look. And when they came back to Australia, they come back. Where do they come back to? Uh, the southwest of WA. Right. So, the uh, first five years, four years of my life, you know, five-ish years of my life, um, was in a seaside town called Dunsborough. Mm-hmm. Been there. Yep, that's where I learnt to swim. Um, and then after that, we lived in Fremantle, in WA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any other little tackers running around? Uh, my sister is six years older than me. Six years older. So, was there any bit of Rivaling rivalry between you two? Uh, I think there was a bigger gap that meant that the rivalry wasn't super intense, but it was like kind of an uh, imbalanced rivalry because uh, she got to like set a lot of the terms. She set the terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, being the eldest child, I understand where she's coming from. Mm. Well, that's our birthright. <laughs> you know, we become kings and queens if we're the firstborn. So why shouldn't we set terms for our siblings, eh? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Uh, yeah. I thought you were a little bit more critical of hierarchy. Oh, no, no, I support it 100%. Hierarchy. I love it. I, I support it 100%. I'd like to be dictator of the universe. But with a producer like Kelly, she brings you down to earth every day. She says you're mortal. <laughs> so school, primary school, what was that like? Um, mixed bag. What do you yeah. mean mixed bag? Oh, you know, I think the best of times it's the worst of times um but the school that i went to was um for primary school was a public school up the road from where i lived in Fremantle, mm-hmm. east Fremantle. um so interesting mix being a port city 
you know, mix of migrant um, kids, um, Anglo kids like me, um, learning together. Mm. So what, mainly Greeks, Italians? Yeah. yeah. At that particular point in time. And uh, did you find when you were a little tacker at primary school that you had any particular interests? Um, well, I came from a, like educated middle-class family who has a lot of emphasis on learning and books. My um, grandparents on my dad's side are, were librarians, so there was always books around. We always were reading. Um, so I think when I was at school, you know, I was into learning, but I also wasn't necessarily into kind of entirely towing the line. All right. So yeah. what type of books were you looking at as a little primary kid? Oh, different things at different ages. I remember when um, I'd basically read my way through the children's library and the librarian said to me, oh, you know, you can go across the hall into the adult library. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so when I was, I remember when I was 10, I had a big... Um, interest in science fiction. I was starting to read a bunch of, like Isaac Asimov and yes, yes. Um, Frank Herbert Dune trilogy and, um, yeah, um, science fiction caught my attention at that time. Yeah, I think a lot of kids at that age got the science fiction bug I did. Did you get nightmares? Uh, I got nightmares about um, nuclear war because it was the 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think... Um, yeah, definitely had that, uh, mm. you know, sense of the existential threat hanging over my childhood. Yeah, but you knew how to protect yourself in a nuclear war, didn't you? You were showing the picture, weren't you? The film? Well, I was thinking more about <laughs> there was a Raymond Bradbury graphic novel um, that showed two British people after the, the bomb had dropped and trying to survive and their teeth falling out yes, over yeah. subsequent days and yeah. you know it was just felt very um, yeah. present yeah. in the mind like. yeah well you're not old enough to remember that um, you can save yourself from a nuclear bomb you know duck and cover you duck under the desk school desk and yep. there'll be no problems you'll be right you'll be right I yeah was... they say that helps for um mass shootings in the u.s really does it yeah i didn't know that poor poor kids getting drained in that all the time now it's that's an interesting subject about the US and their love of uh, arms and their uh, yeah, but we won't go into that. Mm. So when you left primary school, obviously you were proficient in the free arts, middle class family can read well. Went to the adult library mm -hmm. to be corrupted. Uh, yeah. So where'd you go to high school? Um, so I actually went to private school for mm. the last two years of. Um, primary school and for high school. Right. Um, so, yeah, I went to MLC, Methodist Ladies College. Um, oh. Yeah. It's nice to know that I'm talking to an MLC girl. I was talking to a Furbank girl before. Oh, right. Ah, so yeah. it's good to see that you have been led astray now that you're in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. <laughs> I think that happened a lot earlier. Yeah. It happened while I was at school. At school? Well, what I, tell us what happened. What led you astray? I got politically active when I was 15. Uh -huh. So, I mean, my family already had some left-wing tendencies. That well, if your father of, went to look at the squatty movement, yeah, totally. squatted as an anarchist. Yeah, well, my mum was involved mm. with the women's movement mm. and um, so it was kind of around me. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember learning um, in history class. We were doing the Russian Revolution 
and the teacher just shared that little snippet of Marxist theory from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And it was like a big light bulb went off in my mind. I was like, mm. that's what I always thought mm. it should be. That's mm. how I thought things should be set up, you know. Mm. Um, and being the proper little nerd that I was, I took myself off to the State Library. I went to the Dewey um, cataloguing and found the cards and located the section on Marxism, communism, socialism, mm. put the books out and read them and was like, okay, yep, this is me. Um, so you were, you were groomed by the State Library? <laughs> I sure <laughs> I, was. I mean, it's, yeah. that's unbelievable. Yeah, you, that's where and I that's, got That's my... what happens when you've got an inquiring mind, you realise <laughs> you get, you get channelled, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, from there I bought the Green Left Weekly and mm. I snipped out the little um, resistance um, thing and posted mm. it off and mm. then they called me and invited me to a meeting and Ooh. I got involved in resistance for a while mm. and then after a while democratic centralism was getting me down yeah. and I went mm. back to the library and I found the anarchist section oh, and thank I God. got did, those did, did, books out and did, had a read. Did, didn't your father redirect you when he saw his, or was this an act of rebellion? Rebelling against your anarchist father becoming well, a communist. Know. I mean, Dad certainly was interested in that stuff, but he was also just busy uh, doing other things in his life. It wasn't like a strong identity no, for no, him. Yeah, no. I think um, my no. folks were just were really supportive of me exploring things and coming mm. to my own thinking. And yeah, mm. they certainly like enabled me to go to mm. political conferences. So like, when I was in high school, I went to the resistance conference. I went. Uh, interstate, went to state for that conference and for the Network of Women Students Australia conference and, um, yeah, had that parental support to do that, which was pretty great. What's, a resist what's resistance? Oh, yeah, for those who missed that chapter of life, yeah, it was the youth organisation of the Democratic Socialist Party and the DSP went on to become Socialist Alliance. So just to give people you've been, that You've been context. educated there, uh, Kelly? Yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. Never heard of it? Mm -mm. No, it just shows you how sheltered you've been. Being yeah. a number I'm one only producer. three years younger than Holly. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Well, you probably will find there are rezo people around still there are, involved there in are, activism, there are, there. people who had their roots yeah, there. Yeah, I think they actually run Surprising a radio Surprising how many interviews we've done and it's never come up so mm. far. Well, okay. if yeah, you well, listen to Free Sierra on Friday, maybe... I'm talking about our show. Yeah. No, I'm talking about their show. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, that's yeah. good. Yeah, so I was a teenage trot and then I was a teenage anarchist. You're a um, teenage trot. <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of... If what, we were to, what faction? Well, no, I was in... Just a trot. I was in the resistance. Yeah, so well, that's that was my that was my tendency. Yeah, uh, until you, I you kind you of never, explored you and checked some other things out. Mm, and You yeah. never attracted the Spartacists or anything like that? Oh, look, um, in Western Australia, it's funny, all of the little uh, sex... sex S-E-C-T's, <laughs> uh, smaller. Um, so I did come across the Spart paper, but, um, mm, mm. yeah, it didn't really feel like it had... Uh, a groundswell, mm, yeah. Mm. Um, so what type of, was this the Fremantle Library or the Perth Library where you were corrupted? The State Library, so it's the one in Perth. The one in Perth. And what mm. type of anarchist material did they have in stock that you looked at? Well, I think I had a little look at some Kropotkin and some Bakunin. Mm. Mm. My dad already had the Colin Ward book, Anarchy in Action, which is very accessible, easy read. Um yeah, I think I looked into Emma Goldman. I was interested in that crossover with feminism. 
Um, and I ended up uh, starting an anarchist women's collective uh, with my best friend who'd also been in resistance. We kind of left resistance and we launched this uh, collective. And we um, did fun stuff like running around, um, you know, spray painting. I remember spraying on an empty house uh, squat, don't let houses rot, just for some continuity in our themes in this discussion. Um, and we put out a zine with different articles about anarchism and feminism and, yeah. And then you grew up? What do you mean? Well, you know, you said you are an anarchist teenager. Yeah, well... Oh, you don't tell me the stain has continued. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still am a politically active person in different mm, forms. Different forms, yeah. Yeah, yep. So, so I went to university and I think being an anarchist was a useful um, insulation from student politics. I was like, okay, that's not my theory of change. That's mm. not what I'm about. Mm. And which probably means I missed a lot of toxic stuff. Like I think lots of people get a, had good political education going through student politics. But, um, yeah, it didn't appeal to me as a path. Um, but um, I was involved in lots of different activist causes mm, and mm. organising. Can I actually ask an embarrassing question? Yeah. What did you study at university? <laughs> I studied politics and history at Murdoch Politics university. and history, so yeah. you melded your yeah. both lives. Yes. That is wonderful. Well, I'm I'm very consistent all the way through my life. Like my oh. the work that I do now still has is still about politics and history. So. Right. Yeah. So, so what what attracted you to that combination? Um I think I really enjoyed history at school and um, I wanted to know more about the world and I wanted to understand more about the structures and systems of politics and the, and explore political theory. Um, yeah, mm. I got to do some good stuff at uni. Mm. Did, that, did that lead you to going overseas when you were younger? Uh, no, I didn't go overseas. I think... Mm. Um, you know, living in Western Australia, there was already a big barrier to even going over east. You know, like the cost of air travel was really prohibitive back then and it just felt like another step beyond. And I don't think... I think I didn't have that sense of, like, going somewhere else to find myself. So I didn't think international travel was necessarily what was going to give me that exploration. I felt more like... You know, I think living in a place like Perth, people are always leaving and so... For a big period of time, I was like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to build community here. I can make important contributions here. And I feel, you know, um, guilty now because I did eventually leave um, for reasons. Um, but, yeah, I think for that kind of stage of my life, I wasn't focused on overseas travel. Mm. Did you graduate? Yep. Yeah, it took me seven years to do my un undergraduate degree. Seven years. Yeah, I did it part-time and mm. mixed in um, activism and community Life. work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I worked in um, uh, yeah community organisations, community health and community legal organisations. Mm. So. So, so what did you do in community health? Um, so I'm just trying to think back. The first work that I did was actually youth work. I was... Um, Work, I worked on a publication for young people, um, you know, young people who were getting screwed over by the world and people in detention and homelessness and poverty. Um, and then from there I worked, actually I went back to the uni to work on the student newspaper for a little bit of time and then I worked for the WA Substance Users Association. So, yeah, Tell us um, about that work, that sounds interesting. Yeah, so that was a peer led organisation um, and I was on the uh, 
stuffed the needle exchange and did outreach projects and then did different kinds of projects, you know, tailored to different groups. Hmm. So different groups, what type of groups? Well, like for young people, we did like a youth project. That type of thing, yeah. Yeah. And did it involve writing too or...? Yeah, so um, another kind of theme through my work has been around publications and sharing information. So, yeah, we had a magazine and I ended up, like, editing the magazine for a mm. bunch of time. And mm. yeah. you, you were one of these zine people, weren't you? Well, I didn't have a zine of my own, actually. I didn't really mm. kind of get into that so much. But, yeah, community publications community I was really interested in, mm. yeah. So did you go back to university, not to work but to get any other degrees or you just thought it wasn't worth the effort? Oh, later on I did like a postgraduate certificate. So it was just, I think, right. three units on mm. public policy. Mm. So it was still kind of in the same theme. Right. So it sounds as if you got it all sewed up. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened that you had to move? I mean, you don't have to tell us the nitty gritty. Yeah. Well, know. I suppose, yeah, I worked in the community sector for a bunch of time. So I, I worked also for the Sex Worker Agency, the, the health organisation and advocacy organisation working with sex workers. I worked for the Tenants' Rights um, Service over there, also doing publications, that kind of thing, different projects. Um, but probably important to tell you about like a bit of a turning point in my life, mm. um, which is I had an epiphany in about 2005 um, that I really wanted my life's work to be supporting social movements. Mm-hmm. So I'd kind of gone down this path working in the community sector because it sort of aligned with my politics and my commitment to liberation, you know. But, um, you know, I, I really wanted to get back to activism and I had some time where I worked on the Perth Social Forum. So if you remember back when the World Social Forum was happening yep. and then we had the local social forums, mm. part of the anti-globalisation movement. Um, and when I went back into doing that after sort of not not doing as much activism while I was doing this community work, um, I was like, wow, <laughs> I know a lot about training and facilitation. I've got skills that are relevant here that are missing, you know, and it really made me think, oh, what role could I play? Mm. What contribution could I make? What, did you just wake up one day or were you just looking at the wall? And <laughs> I think... Because I'm really interested in it, yeah. what you're saying because a lot of people have these moments. Of but clarity. most But yeah. most don't grab it with both hands and yeah. make major changes. <clears throat> yeah, it felt like it was a very strong signal that I got. So I, I think I was sitting with a question for a bit of time and then I was you know, in a quiet day at work, did a little bit of internet research, like, what is going on with activist training? Who does that? And I found um, an example, um, George Lakey, who came out of the movement for new, a new society in the US, and he started the training organisation Training for Change. And I read an interview with him, and he talked about how this was his life's work. And it was a little bit like that light globe going on in the history class. I was like, yes, mm. you know, this is what I wanted to do. But I just hadn't seen a model of it that someone could commit their life to that work um and it just really just yeah i felt like the it was a real shift in perspective the light in the room changed you know it felt very Mm. emotional and actually went home and told my partner look i'm gonna change my life to get on this path i'm not too sure what it's going to look like right now but i think i'm gonna start to phase out doing this work and move into this other area and she was really supportive of that how old are you sorry I was just before 30. Mm. Yeah. 30. Mm. I was 29. 29. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> See, Kelly's a great producer and she puts up the time for me because, you know, we don't <laughs> know. 
this is like prison in here. We don't have clocks. Well, I can't see the clock. And uh, she has to exist 30 minutes. And now, and now I'm supposed to say the community announcement. Oh. Uh, you're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And uh, just to alert our, lis- our listeners that that rebel priest, Father Bob Maguire, has died. Uh, Kelly and I conducted an interview with him a number of years ago. It's available on podcast. And uh, if you want to share memories regarding Bob Maguire, I think uh, we encourage you to listen to the podcast. Now, young Today Holly we're Ham- speaking to... Holly Hammond. Are we? <laughs> yes, we are. You sure? <laughs> yes. And she's not related to Happy Hammond. <laughs> Apparently not. No, the 50s clown. No. Not at all. You, you sound like a very serious person to date. What did your partner think of this epiphany? <laughs> uh, well, I think it's kind of helpful that we're both political people mm. and we both have a big commitment to mm. changing the world. So, um, And, you know, we trust and support each other. So she was like, this sounds really important. Let's figure out how to do it. Um, so how do, you, yeah. how do you get one of these partners? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> oh, well, I think it helps to be, um, you know, excellent and kind and attractive and a great <laughs> communicator. All right. Well, that rules us <laughs> out. Luck, and bad luck for you, Kelly. Rules both, both of us out. You know, we're, we're, we're on the scrap heap. So did this mean a move? Well, not immediately. Mm. So... I started by setting up a consultancy in Perth and I did some work over there and I developed some workshops. Um, But my partner actually was the one who led the move. So she was working for the Federal Greens at that time, so the um, Bob Brown and Christine Milne. Um, And when you're living in WA and your work involves Parliament House, like it's a really hard commute. Mm. So after she'd done that for a little while, we were like, this isn't working. I think it's time to move to Canberra. And that was a big, hard decision to make because we're really committed to our Perth community and we really loved so many people there. Um, But, yeah, it felt like it was time. And so we lived in Canberra for three years. Hang I on, did, hang on, hang yeah. on. Did you mm-hmm. have a going away party? That's what I'm interested yeah. in. Yeah. And did they look at you as if you were a traitor? You're in no, they were, uh, they were very sweet. Yeah. I remember one of my best friends, though, was being like, you're coming back, aren't you? And I was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I was like, sorry. And that didn't happen. Yeah. So we lived in Canberra for three years. Where in Canberra? Uh, in Watson. It's oh, like yeah. one of the old villages mm. within Canberra. Um, you know, pretty lovely place to live, great connection to the bush, beautiful birds flying around everywhere, nice human scale. Um, but after three years, I was really feeling like I wanted to put down roots and I wanted to do my work. So I'd been travelling a lot, you know, to other places to train activists and facilitate workshops and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that wasn't feeling sustainable. Right. So, yeah, so it, that's why we moved to Melbourne. It's all right. It's live radio. We have people coming in and out. It's they are so out. welcome. You know, you've been yeah. a community worker and, uh, <laughs> you know, having an epiphany, you understand these oh, things. Oh, yeah, totally. So when um, you left Canberra, what did your partner think? Did she want to leave Canberra? Um, 
Yeah, she was really up for that. Yeah, right, yep. Right. We we did a few missions down to Melbourne to suss it out, and we already Ooh, had missions. I like that. <laughs> we already had friends down here, so it uh, felt like a good fit for us. Yeah. So that was what two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think we actually moved here more like twenty eleven. 2011. Yeah. So when you did these little scouting missions, what did that entail? Did you fly down or drive down? I do not remember. Oh, mm. what, did you test out the water, the accommodation, the food, the social life? <laughs> I mean, it's a scouting mission. <laughs> yeah. I think we wanted to get a sense of neighbourhoods and yeah. what it would be like to live here. Right. Yeah. And what did you think? Oh, I think for me, the I mean, it's pretty funny, but top of my list was that it had a large social movement population like I wanted to be able to live in one place and do my work and not do this fly in fly out approach yeah, yeah. which was you know there was so much that was great about that I met people all around the country doing great stuff but um it meant I didn't have time to build my own community and also to sort of see how things developed over time you know to work with some people and kind mm. of get to see how it evolved so what did you set up in Melbourne uh, so I had a project called Plan to Win. Plan to Win. Yeah. Sounds like something you get from a self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it actually, I went, I did go to the US and I did some training with an organisation called the Centre for Story-Based Strategy. Right. And they had some great tools for like coming up with snappy meme names. And mm. um, so I did a process around that. Kelly, we need to bottle this person <laughs> because we need snappy names you keep telling me that my names the things <laughs> i do are too, too long, long. Yeah. Yeah, all right. yeah. i mean you know at the time i think i was really thinking about we need to talk about winning like we're not we're in it to win it yep you know it's not just the struggle <laughs> it's like we're well, trying to get to better places right. and um and yeah. that we need to have good plans to do it you know we can't just mm, kind of yeah. guess and jump in and just right. totally go off our gut. We need I to mean, kind you're, you're think into, stuff you're, through. I think of activism as there's meteorites and stars, and you're obviously you're creating stars. Mm. Meteorites, <laughs> they burn up. You see them, you know, mm. in, in the activist scene. Yeah. They want to change everything tomorrow, and in a year's time they've just totally burnt out and you never see them again. And then you've got people that kind of continue, and I find the difference is, as you said, plan to win. You do tasks that... Um, can help you. Yeah, you can do tasks that you can actually win. And, yeah. And even if you lose 10 and you win one, it's still worth it. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, like, activist burnout's always been on my mind. Like, it was one of the first workshops that I developed was all around that, you know, and I ended up working on a project here called Plan to Thrive, which was all around activist well-being and mm. kind of thinking about if we're going to do this work to change the world, how do we live really good lives at the same time? Um, and part of that is like being strategic. So we're putting our energy into things that will add up to making a difference. Right. Burnout. Mm. You've done a lot of work in that area. What's your advice to listeners who are activists who are just feeling that it's just hopeless and pointless and they just don't want to go on? Well, I think when we start feeling like that, it's definitely a sign we've got to change something and it, what changes might need to be different for different people. So... Sometimes, like, the amount that you're working is the problem and you need to reduce that and get some rest. But sometimes it's more around, like, the emotional dimension, like what is, what's um, what's causing the emotional impact and what helps you recover from that. So a lot of the 
like the hard one of the hardest things for people in activist groups is the tension and conflict within the group and how that impacts on well-being so you know getting access to support to navigate those problems makes a difference um yeah getting to work through some of the big heavy feelings and um yeah express grief might be the other parts that people need right you're talking about Work, was it Work to Thrive program? Plan to Thrive. Plan to Thrive. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounded a little bit like Work to Fry, <laughs> yeah, which some been, people yeah. that is the program Probably they're on. <laughs> work to Fry, yeah. yeah. Wage slavery. Yep. So Plan to Thrive. Mm. You do that, what, as part of a consultant group or? Oh, it was like a little spin-off from Plan to Win. Oh, so right. I noticed there was you know, that I had a lot to say in that space, but mm. I didn't want it to kind of take over my other work. Mm. Um, and part of that's actually sexism because, um, you know, if you pop up as a woman talking about well-being and suddenly that's the thing everyone's expecting and you're just going to be the big caretaker of the movement. And it's like, well, actually, I've got a lot to say on strategy and organising and effective actions, you know. So I sort of made a separate space for the well-being conversation and I invited other people to come in and work on that with me. So we had a like, a shared blog for a bunch of time where different people were writing articles and we ran uh, one year we had a calendar of monthly sessions um, which were, you know, kind of showcasing different things you could do to support your well-being. So what type of organisation have you set up in Melbourne? So now my work is a little bit different. So I do a little bit of plan to win because uh, I still do one-to-one sessions with people, coaching sessions, um, and I especially focus on uh, supporting trainers and facilitators because I'm doing less of that work myself. Well, could you just explain what a trainer is and what a facilitator is? I mean, we use a lot of jargon in this business, <laughs> and sure. a, lo- a lot of our listeners may be not familiar. Yeah. So I guess when I'm talking about activist training, I'm talking about training people in a bunch of different skills. So it could be workshops on campaign strategy or um, workshops on how to build your organisation or how to have effective meetings, how to build coalitions, that kind of skills focus. And the facilitation, that's a skill that you use as a trainer, but also you could be facilitating a strategy development session for a group where they're all putting their heads together to plan and as facilitator you're helping them kind of move through the process or um, that could be movement-wide strategy session uh, where everybody gets to be heard. Um, Yeah, more facilitating reviews, Mm -hmm. you know, like after a a big campaign at the end of it, doing a debrief and drawing the lessons out, Mm. that kind of facilitation skill of helping people work well together in groups. Do people listen? Um, (laughs) Look at... It's variable, isn't it? But uh, mm. if we set the processes, processes up well, um, there's a better chance of that. Right, and it is very variable because everybody thinks they've got the answer, unfortunately. Mm. And there are, there are, as you said, there are strategies to actually winning. There are strategies which you need to follow. So what are you doing today? Not today, but I mean these <laughs> days. Yeah, so since um, 2019 I've been leading the Common Social Change Library. Hang on, hang on. Common social commons. Ch- social change commons yeah. social change library. What's that? Yep, so it gets shortened to Commons Library and our URL is commonslibrary.org. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a one stop shop online um, directory 
um, for activists. So we've got over a thousand resources on a really broad range of social change approaches and skills um, and people can access it all for free on the website and um, yeah, learn a lot about how to change the world. But how do you survive? What do you mean? Well, it's all for free. <laughs> I thought you'd, you'd have a Murdoch or a, or, or, or a, or a nine, or a nine um, you know, what do they call them? You know, you've got to pay, pay, pay Oh, yeah, no paywalls. Pay no, yeah. everything's free. Information wants to be free and we want to, you know, you if we're going to gather the collective wisdom of activists, we're not, we can't be charging dollars for it. It's not, not the right thing. So mm. like a lot of small not-for-profit groups, we hustle for funds in different ways. Mm. Yeah. What donations or yeah, so philanthropic support, grants, um, individual donors. So um, yeah, if people value the work of the Commons Library, you can hop on our website and kick us a donation. We'd really appreciate it. So going back to the Commons Library, mm-hmm. is, is it broken up to, in, into different um, uh, areas, or so? Yep. Could you tell us the different areas that you, that you that you deal with? It's a long list. So yeah, that's fine. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> Um, so we've got a browse page and on there you can see the topics that we cover. So um, some of them are campaign strategy, organising, uh, working in groups, communications and media, nonviolent direct action, lobbying and advocacy. Um, yeah, a bunch more, but that mm-hmm. kind of gives you a bit of a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have collections that have been contributed by different organisations. Uh, so you can kind of navigate according to that. And we have materials in a bunch of formats so people can read articles or access training materials or uh, watch videos or listen to podcasts. Do you get any feedback? Yeah. <clears throat> in terms of people saying yeah. how they're using in, it. Or whether and, it's been useful and how they're yeah, using it. Yeah, we get so much warm feedback. I think generally it's just seen as a good thing and people are either people have been using it for a long time and they're letting us know you know, this made a real difference to our campaign or we used this in a training for our volunteers and it was really helpful. Um, or we have newer people who are kind of like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this existed and I wish I'd known about it when I was first starting out. Mm. So what what are your secrets for a successful... <laughs> no, it's sec- no, look, it's secret because we don't think of these things. How do you maintain a group? Because as you said... It can be quite incestuous. You get the interpersonal relationships and, you know, it's about who wants to be top banana. So what's the best way to run, say, a a group which is involved in a particular action or has got a particular idea? What's the best way to ensure that it continues to function without destroying itself? Mm. (laughs) This could be a whole workshop. Yeah, that's fine. And it has been. (laughs) But I would say a few different things. One is purpose. So clarity about the purpose of the group. And so a mission put, statement. Well, like why are we getting together? Mm. And rather than it just being a written down mission statement, right. is it lived, you know, is it kind of known and shared amongst the group? Um, and, that, you know, does it is it about li- aligning values and putting them into action? Um, the other w- I would say is growth. Like if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, it's harsh to say. <laughs> Uh, but having a process where new people can come in and people who've been around are able to move on uh, refreshes a group and kind of um, guards against those um, that stagnation, you know, where people after a while like start to, you know, um, spiral downwards. I guess if it's, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. kind of some movement and refreshing going on in there. 
um, having good processes that are shared and known. So we run meetings in these particular ways. We This is how we make decisions. This is how we communicate with each other. Um, building strong relationships with each other, which is also about knowing each other kind of beyond just the work. So, um, yeah, understanding what makes each other tick and um, feeling warmth and compassion towards each other that we want to, that we're in it together and we want to back each other to do well. Mm-hmm. I think those are some elements. Mm. And, and do you have any section on decision-making processes within groups? Yeah, we have a tag on decision-making. So because we're a library, we've got a few different ways we catalogue. Um, but that is one area that I think we need to grow a bit more. Um, I feel like consensus decision-making has had a lot of emphasis in social movements for a long time, and so there are established materials around that area. Um, but, you know, groups are finding other ways to make decisions as well, and they're also using technology in interesting ways to aid their decision-making. So that's an area that I'd like us to develop more resources in. And if anyone listening has got something that they'd like to contribute to the library, I'd love to hear from you. So you actually take contributions? Yes, totally. That's... That's um, the whole purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're going to gather the collective wisdom of people engaged in social change, we need mm. that to be um, like a flow where people mm. are putting the stuff in and sharing it outwards. So um, we do that in different ways. So sometimes people contact us and say, hey, I've got this article or our group just developed this manual and they pass it on. Or we hear about things and we ask people, is it okay if we add it to the commons? Um, sometimes there's things that we see are gaps that we want to develop. So our librarians might do some research to put some materials together or we'll reach out to people who we know have knowledge in that area and ask them, you know, are they able to put something together for us? And you talk about librarians. So how many people are involved in the Commons? Yes, yeah, so we have a little team of four people. Mm-hmm. We're all part-time um, and we have volunteers as well. So, Sounds like a 3CR model. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And um, I'm really fortunate with my colleagues because we have a great mix of skills. So Anchi Dunn is our librarian and she is a qualified librarian. So she designed the commons using like a really great – to make it a really good user experience and um, that people be able to find the information they need really quickly. Mm. Um, and then Ian McIntyre – He's a researcher and historian and he brings that um, skill set to the commons and um, people who follow us on social media will see that we, um, we share a lot about activist history and we really want people to learn from history. Um, oh, that's a bit radical, learning from history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's not the go, isn't it? We, we don't want to learn from history in this country, do we? Uh, well, <laughs> I think um, I think us radicals think it's quite important to yeah, pay attention right. to history. Well, so, yeah. well, tonight I'm actually doing a, a presentation on the uh, history of the anti-war movement during mm. World War One, which has been buried and forgotten. You're quite yeah. right. I mean, there's just so much fascinating material, just Australian-based material, just yeah, just fascinating, which is just not available unless you really do the research. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. so much to learn, and um, there's like inspiration to be had to look mm. at past struggles, yeah. and for people to have a sense that oh, I'm actually standing on the shoulders of all these other people. It's, yeah. You know, one of the things with activist burnout is that. Sometimes people don't have that long view or their sense that they're part of something bigger. You know, it's going to mm. keep going beyond us. It, it was that's here right. before we that's got right. here. Um, I think that can be really grounding. I mean, this anti-conscription struggle is just um, 
extraordinary. I mean, mm-hmm. they win two plebiscites during World War One. Yeah, it's amazing. When, when there's war hysteria and all the different groups that got together, the industrial workers of the world, Archbishop Mannix, the old Irish Republicans, yeah. the Women's Peace Army, it goes on and on. It's just an extraordinary history and there's tons of material. Mm. You know, the 1891 Shearer's strike, the, there's tons of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So if people want to get involved as volunteers, do you do they have to have certain criteria that you they need to fill before they can be volunteers? Is there a process? Yeah, we do like an annual intake, um, but uh, we also are happy to chat to people in between intakes. Um, you can check for information on the Commons Library in our news section. There's information about our volunteer program. Now, just say somebody's interested. Mm-hmm. Not they just want to uh, contribute material, but they're interested in contributing. Obviously, uh, it's all virtual. Yeah, so we're all online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they need they need those skills, or you can train people up in those skills. Or? Um, I think it will make it, make it easier for them to make a contribution because we are all remote as well. Like right. we'll need to be able to communicate and right. share files and all that. So you, you need some knowledge. Yeah, that about helps. the virtual world that helps, yeah, that right? Helps. And what else are you looking for in volunteers? Oh, well, there's different roles that people can play. Yeah, but what... what yeah, so what, researchers, a, writers, um, website maintenance, so the kind of behind the scenes that helps the site function well makes a really big difference. It's like all the staff here behind the scenes that keep the radio station going. <laughs> yeah, you know? yep. You, you've got the show ponies like Kelly and myself, and then you've got the hard-working team out there. Yeah. Broadcast, doing all the hard work. You never Less hear about. the 3CR crew. And you've got the same yeah. people in the background. Yeah. Mm. Um, but... You know, if people have ideas, we're really well, you know, welcome them bringing those. Um, we're really up for people being social media champions for us as well. So if we, you know, part of what we're trying to do is reach as many people as possible. So sharing our posts or coming up with ideas for different places that we can be sharing information. And, you talk yeah. about yearly intake. What does that entail? Well, it just means, you know, hey, everybody volunteer for the commons and apply by this date so that we can mm. you know and what, and, and look at it all at once and, and what's in the application that they've got to fill out it's a really short little survey mm. and it asks them about their connection to social change um it asks them about some of their skills and asks them what things they'd be interested in doing with the commons right and do you ever ever have any knees up mother brown real gatherings apart from the virtual world um well, it's been quite interesting being a digital library and then also having a pandemic. So, um, the, <laughs> you're very much in demand. <laughs> we kind of, yeah, it was it was the right offering mm-hmm. for the time, yeah. like to be sharing the information that way that we have. So we tend to do online trainings and mm. online sessions rather than. But do you, in person. what I mean, do you have social gatherings of some type where different you come together and. Uh, have a, have a meal or something, <laughs> you know? Not so much. I mean, like, our people are kind of spread around. Well, our staff mm. team's here mm. in um, Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, so mm. we get together definitely. Um, yeah, maybe that's something down the track in the future. But, yeah. Mm. Even maybe go back to your old trot days, you know, face-to-face conference sometimes <laughs> is useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. More people need to know about it, that's for sure. Holly. Well, that's right. It's just I mean, an uh, amazing resource. It, it really is. is. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. It really is. Yeah, well, Kelly's mm. like that. She always finds the amazing things out in the world that nobody else knows about and brings them I into the studio. I don't know about that, but I've been certainly meaning to have Holly come on for some time now. Yeah. And we've had Ian, yep. yeah. Um, yeah. Holly's colleague, on mm. years ago. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Years and years ago. Yep. 
Any plans for expansion? Um, I think we're kind of in a consolidation phase at the moment, but um, I I feel like we are getting lots and lots of traffic from all around the world. So there's also um, international collaborations that we're looking at, um, as well as uh, we want to do a bit more outreach um, outside the eastern seaboard. So making connections. Well, I can't not do this as someone from WA. Like I want to make sure that folks in WA know about the library and um, we're taking it to other parts of the country that, um, yeah, might be a bit more out of the loop. And what are you going to do if you get another epiphany? Are you going to ignore it <laughs> now that you're ensconced in this particular project? Oh, well, I, I love this project and it feels like uh, the culmination of my life, really. You know, mm. like I'm still working on politics and history. I'm still, um, you know, connected to social change. I guess one thing is, you know, my earlier path was the those particular political identity niches of socialist and anarchist, whereas um, these days the library is really there for the big breadth of people engaged in activism and it can look like lots of different things, and folk, including folks who don't identify as activists. Right. Um, so I'm quite happy to kind of do that support for that mix of folks out there. Um, mm. But also, you know, I wouldn't, um, if I got a strong inner message that, I need to do something different with my life. I've kind of shown I'm pretty up for following that. So we'll see. We should also mention it's not only um, training that mm. the Commons offers, but it's the um, the archive. It's a documentation of our history. Yes, definitely. Um, and we're really passionate about activist archiving, actually. So um, 3CR is a great example of like telling stories of activist history all the time. But um, while people are campaigning, there's things you can do to um, keep a record of what you do so that telling the story becomes easier. And we've got some resources on the Commons about activist archiving that mm. folks are welcome to check out. Mm. I'll also just let people know that we're running a project at the moment called Making Advocacy Accessible. Um, and so we've been looking at increasing accessibility of our site, um, making our resources available in different formats and doing some easy read translations. And we're going to be running a webinar on the 1st of June um, to help groups think about how they can improve their accessibility. And how do they contact you? Uh, so commonslibrary.org and there's a contact form on there. Do you have a, such a thing as a phone number? Well, you don't bother about that <laughs> these days. I do have a phone number, but mostly uh, we invite people to contact us the other ways the other and then, way, yeah. then we reach out. You know, in many ways you've taken over the role of the State Library because in the <laughs> days before the virtual world appeared, you do a leaflet and you'd send it off to the State Library and to be archived. Mm. But these days that it's a lot of the stuff's virtual, people just don't do that anymore. And obviously mm. you've taken over that role by being that um, repository of our knowledge, you know, and our experiences. Yeah. Because that's the State Library no longer does that. Oh, does it not? I thought you could still send your stuff there. You can. I remember but, but, my, um, yeah. the back in the day I mentioned the Anarchist Women's Collective. Mm. Our zine is in the mm. WA State Library. So. Yeah, because you, um. would, you, would, you would have sent it. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. People no longer have that a time or the space to actually give mm. a physical copy and the fact that you've got this commons library specifically related about 
activism, I think, is 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 um, is a great thing because yeah. a lot of stuff is lost every day. Yeah, tons well, of stuff. I must say, we don't fully um, play that archive role that we can take on everyone's mm. information and store it. It's kind of beyond our capacity at this point, so our focus is a bit more on skills. But there are definitely we've got a bunch of case studies in the library, um, and we're really up for talking with groups about how they can archive more effectively and make sure their stuff gets preserved for the future. I'm going to ask you a, f- a question that I always ask at the end of an interview. Say you're a young person, you're embarking on this journey that you embarked on so many years ago and I embarked on and Kelly embarked on. What advice, now that you're a learned elder, would you give people? Mm, trust your own thinking. Mm. You know, have an inquiring mind and learn and make up your own mind about things. Um Make connections with fellow travellers, you know, people who uh, share your ideas or don't entirely agree with you but are up for having the big chats. Um, learn, reflect. Yeah, change your mind along the way when you need to. Um, have a rest from time to time. Um, yeah. Notice that you're part of, like we were talking about before, that you're part of something really big, um, and it's not all on you. That's right. It's not mm. all on you as an individual. Thank you very much, Holly Hemmen, for coming into the studio to educate us <laughs> about what's going on there in the virtual world. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, hopefully, people will take up your offer to uh, skill themselves uh, in terms of being effective and having some victories along the way. Definitely. We want to plan to win, after all. Yep. Plan to win. (laughs) I could see, I can see, I can see a poster. Plan to win. (laughs) Um, Joe, I just also have to let you know, I think I came across you in 1993 or 94 at the Anarchist Conference when Noam Chomsky came out. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have crossed paths all the way. We have crossed paths. That was in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there were 2,000 people there, so forgive me for not not remembering. (laughs) All the best. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge, and I'm sure it'll make a difference to a a lot of people listening. Thanks, Joe and Kelly. Thanks, Holly.
Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 94198377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.